Vodka. 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 Vodka o'clock. Hello, everyone. It's Amber Love, and uh, thank you for sticking with Vodka O'Clock while I took a short break. Um, we are back, and uh, if you haven't been paying attention to my various millions of tweets and Instagrams and Facebooks about my book, Cardiac Arrest, that came out at the end of January, so um, you can find out more information about that at amberunmasked.com. And if you have the uh, availability and opportunity and means to do so, go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to sponsor the show on the site and my work. So um, that's where I am in my situation, and I have my one book out, and I'm like all super excited about it, and today's guest has like... A hundred and <laughs> and he's like you know just going to completely shadow me. So this is uh, so I like I'm I'm like nervous and excited and and everything to talk to Mr. Adam Christopher today. Hey, Yay. hello, how you doing? Good, I'm great. So this is like super wonderful because I I we've been twittering for a long time. Yes, so we have actually. And. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, this is amazing. I didn't think that, you know, with with the time change and stuff, sometimes it's really hard to ever schedule people. But this is going to be great. And you do have, like, this big history with science fiction. And uh, it's sort of like, I don't know if, if it's just called, like, cyberpunk or what you, you know, if things specifically fall under one label these days. Um, yeah, that's kind of but, you know, isn't it? Um, I mean, I tend to think of what I write as being um, – the books that I write, which sounds kind of weird, but it's one of those things where I don't really think about kind of what I want to write. You know, some people are very much into, you know, epic fantasy or urban fantasy or kind of space opera, which is great, you know, and people, you know, these genres have huge fan bases and, and writers that can produce, you know, huge series. Um, but for me, it's kind of like if I have an idea... I'll write it. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, hopefully it works. And if it works, then maybe someone will, will kind of read it. It's kind of a weird thing, but yeah. Well, it, one of the things that's really cool about the, the catalog of work that you've done is how it, it feels like, um, like, you know, those scenes in TV shows or movies where there's somebody trying to solve something and they've got the cork board with all of the, cards oh, yeah. and cutouts of articles <laughs> and then the strings going through it all um i've you know i feel like okay well like in this book over here he's really heavy with the ai and then over here we've got hackers so it's still like technology and then over here we've got crime and there's always a crime thing but what year is this happening right. and how do they solve crimes and make you know commit crimes yeah so it's like there, there are all these different areas that come out of your wonderful brain, and <laughs> and you make all of these things. I mean, the, yeah, the corkboard um, and the string is basically you, you know you've just described my office. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, awesome. it's basically how I work. Um, I I would, but at this point, I think the cat would destroy it. Um, I have like this tiny, tiny little corkboard. Um, but I've tried to. I've been using Scrivener. I don't know if you use. Yeah, a I specific do. I do use Scrivener. Ah. It's interesting. I use well. I use Scrivener for first drafts um, because I find it has all these tools, as you know, um, that deal with like the statistics of what you're writing, so word counts and deadlines and things like that. And because I have sort of, I don't know, 
four or five projects on at once, each of which has a different deadline. I, that's really essential for me for you know keeping track of everything. Um, once I do the first draft, and it, well, another thing with Scrivener in the first draft is that it's so easy to kind of move stuff around and you know insert chapters and scenes and and all. That's what I like. Yeah, too. it's it's brilliant for that. Um, when I've done the first draft uh, of a book, I then take it out of Scrivener and put it into Word, and just work work on it as a normal Word document. Um, mainly because obviously when you send your work to editors, it has to, yeah, Word is the industry standard, so it has to be a Word document. So I kind of think, well, I may as well just get familiar with it. Uh, yeah, familiar with the, the manuscript in in a more linear kind of word format you know and the other thing is that you get comments back and you get your edits back and they're in word anyway so sooner or yeah, later you've got to get in there but for first draft i find it essential but it's interesting you mentioned the cork board it's like i tried sort of you know virtual cork boards like on my computer and on ipad and stuff but i found i actually needed something i could look at like on the wall you know whether it's a whiteboard or a cork board or something something that i could like that's away from the computer that I could just see <laughs> and kind of I, look at. I absolutely, yeah. yeah, no, I absolutely believe that there's some change in how we process the information we're seeing if it's on a monitor versus if it's not. Um, yeah, because somebody, you know, somebody's asked me like, what, you know, what do I do if I have writer's block? And I'm like, well, I just have to walk away and actually make my brain do something else. Yeah. Like I will go and maybe sew or, you know, just hang out with the cats or whatever. I need to go actually be, making my brain work in a different area um yeah so i i like uh corkboards or whiteboards or whatever too i just don't have any room (laughs) (laughs) yeah but even i used to make lists of things notes on like my phone uh which i still do but like now i'm like i need a pad of paper and a pen which is funny because i'm like i'm I'm a very well i was about to say i'm a very digital person but then i don't read ebooks either (laughs) maybe i'm old-fashioned i don't know I'm I'm kind of a hybrid because I do I do both. I like reading digitally. Um a friend of mine can't because it makes his migraines worse, but on the other hand it's like better for like my mom has um some glaucoma, so she actually finds it much easier now sure. to read on the with the the lighting. Uh so everybody's you know got their thing, but I I sometimes do I just want to sit in bed with paper and a pen and I have I know two people who who do this. They I think they do all of their draft paper and pen yeah no that's kind of that fills me with this deep fear and and dread um because like when it comes to writing my hand my handwriting is is terrible and very slow yeah my yeah so the idea of writing an entire book by hand just makes me come out in a cold sweat (laughs) yeah my my typing is terrible my typing is absolutely as bad as my handwriting but um at least once it's there (laughs) you can it's easier to edit. Yeah. 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 And it is, it, it is clever now having phones where we can at least jot notes down at the, you know, like, like, oh, you're in the supermarket and something comes to mind. That happened to me the other night. I actually thought of something. I was already in bed and I didn't have paper near me, but I had the phone next to me charging. So I thought, okay, I had one of those moments where I'm like, will I remember this in the morning or should I write it down now? Right. And instead, I was just like, you know what? The phone's here. It has this little memo thing. Let me just make a memo. Yeah. And I and I did that. So maybe that'll be my November uh, 
National Novel Writing. Oh, cool. Thing, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, have you ever done that? Have you ever done the NaNoWriMo? I uh, did, I think. Let me try and remember. I think probably my first couple of books, one one of which was like a manuscript that is locked away in a drawer, never to be seen. Never to be seen. Ever. Uh-huh. Uh, and the second one was... Oh, no, the second one was Seven Wonders. The third book I wrote was Empire State. I'm not sure, one of those. Anyway, I kind of thought to myself, I'll use NaNoWriMo as a kind of, like, discipline um, event for my brain. Kind of thing. It's like, okay, I need to do this many words a day, every day, get cracking. Uh, knowing that, you know, 50,000 words for me is not enough for a finished novel, but at least it's like, well, this is, you know, the start. And I think I did it like 2007 2008 um and then it and then of course it's one of these things where like it comes to the point where i'm writing 5000 words a day now every wow. every day because i have to because it's my you know it's my job but like that's <laughs> job, yeah. yeah so the there the 16 is it i think it's 16 67 words a day exactly yeah, yeah exactly that used to be like that must have seen monumental. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you asked, you know, a couple of years ago, even if you said, you know, oh, you'd be writing 5,000 words a day, I'd be like, are you insane? That's, no, it doesn't work like that. But you, you train yourself to do it. And, and when it becomes necessary and you kind of, you find your own rhythms and you find the way that you work and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and the other thing, which I always kind of say is every single writer is different. You know, there are True. people who are New York Times bestsellers with huge, um, series of books that can't do 5,000 words a day because they're not the kind of writers that do that and that's you know that's that with, right. with writing 5,000 words a day because that is a lot um, do you give yourself weekends off or something uh, yeah yeah so I try and write well I try and work kind of 9 to 5 Monday to Friday uh-huh. uh, like if it was a, you know kind of an office job I used to have um and I try and keep weekends free and, you know, public holidays and vacations, I try and not do stuff. Of course, when a deadline comes up and you're behind, you have to do whatever you have right. to do. So you probably, I don't know, a handful of weekends a year, I kind of have to write through. Um, but again, it's one of those things where, because writing it comes to a point where like, you're writing all the time, even when you're not typing or writing it by hand, you know, your brain is working on stuff. Brain's working. Yeah. Um, and you never kind of switch off. And I think, yeah, you have to stop yourself burning out and you have to kind of, yeah, well, not just stop burning out, but you have to kind of keep the passion alive for yourself. Um, so kind of trying to structure my day. I'm a very kind of list making, scheduling, organizing person. So trying to write within a kind of, you know, working framework. For me, it works. Like I said, for other writers, they, you know, everyone's different. Well, it's it's good that you can keep a uh, you know a workday kind of schedule because um, following so many writers and artists like I do on Twitter, some of them just kind of are up till three in the morning and then you know they wake up at five or six in the morning. And yeah, I don't yeah. I don't understand how they function. Well, I mean, I used to, you know my the first I think it was Empire State. You know, I because I was working not at another job, so I would be up at five and I'd write 2,000 words. And then when I got home in the evening at like six o'clock, I'd write 2,000 words. Uh, you kind of just have to 
you have to fit it in. You know, everyone has 24 hours and everything else that goes on in life. Um, but yeah, I'm also, I'm kind of, I'm a very more, I'm a morning kind of person. So I Me like, too. right. I like getting up early and doing work. Uh, you know, I can't stay up late at all. The idea of like working through the night would just, um, be terrible. I'm such yeah. an old fogey. <laughs> that's that's how I feel. That's how I've been for my whole life, and it's always been odd because yeah, it's it's hard to get up and get out the door early for me. Right. But I'm always awake early, and I don't mind being at my computer before the sun is up. Um, but having to like, you know, I I used to have jobs where I would have to drive anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's like, and by that point, the driving itself has exhausted me. I don't <laughs> feel like doing anything when I get there. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, at least getting the opportunity to go and like get at a desk like really early in the morning, um, like my brain's catching up and it's and it's functional, whereas other people aren't, and they just don't even turn on until it's like eight o'clock at night. Right. Yeah. And and I just think that's wild. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, an artist, but like you're saying, you know, while people like writers are constantly thinking, you see that visually with artists. If you've ever just hung out with one. They're, if you ever just go to a bar with an artist, they are drawing on everything. Right, they're, yeah. they're bringing this gift. And, like, and it's not even like they can't give their hand a break. It's just that they do that while they're talking. Right. And they're listening and completely engaged. <laughs> and yet, meanwhile, it's like that alien hand yeah. <laughs> syndrome where, you know, um, it's just the, that part of their brain is still working. Um it's interesting, though. It's a, I think it's the same for writers as well. Like, yeah, yeah but it's like... Thinking about something <laughs> in the background. I've totally been thinking about something, but because I'm, if my hand's not doing anything to write it down, I just look like I'm zoned out and not paying attention. <laughs> right. uh, which is probably true. I won't have he heard what somebody says. Um, but with Empire State, when you were working on that, did you already have that like a book deal for that or was that something that you created and then sold? No, I, I wrote it. Well, I wrote it kind of um, just straight without a book deal, without anything, because what I wanted to do back at the beginning was actually find out if I could write a book. Um, so like the first one, I mentioned the kind of the trunk novel. You know, I had no, I've written short stories and bits and pieces like that, but I had no idea if I could write a hundred thousand words in some kind of logical, coherent, entertaining way, <laughs> because, you know, a book is quite long. So I yeah. wrote that. And even though it's kind of terrible and will be forever a secret, um, at least I knew that I could sit down and I could write and I could get from word one to word hundred thousand. Um, and then the second one, I then I wrote uh, Seven Wonders, which is a superhero novel, and Empire State was the third one, sort of back to back, because I thought, okay, if you want to take this seriously, you want to do it for a job, sometime, you know, you gotta you gotta write. So I finished the first trunk novel. Next day, I started Seven Wonders. I wrote Seven Wonders, finished it. Next day, started Empire State, and I think back then it was like two thousand, three thousand words a day. Um, you know, which to me at the time was like incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I mean, my highest word count was still under five thousand. It was four thousand four hundred. Right. And you know, and then this this past year it was three thousand five hundred. Right, which is still which is huge, which is great. You know. Yeah. I mean, because I was I was just trying to keep up with the sixteen hundred. You know. Right. 
and and now what I'm doing because I um just for um like they have a camp NaNoWriMo, which I've never done before, oh, but right. you set your own, you set your own word count. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to bust my butt then. I'll be happy with a couple thousand per week just so that I know I'm making progress. Yeah. yeah. And That's a good way instead to of, yeah. yeah, instead of just that much per day, yeah. I'll just, you know, cause I'm, I am different. I don't have to write every day because it's just not going to happen. Some days I just can't. Yeah, so, sure. Um, whereas other people are just like, oh my gosh, they feel like this. They, I don't know if it's an energy thing or if it's a compulsion, like whatever it is, they need to they need to write every day, or maybe they're afraid that the thought is going to leave their head. Um, yeah. But uh, with like you went from from Empire State, and then you had you even had a sequel from that. So was that in a row, or did you get back to that? I came of? back to it. So I did Seven Wonders Empire State. Empire State was the one where I thought I had something here that was kind of okay, that I could sh- <laughs> I could show someone else. So I actually so I ended up selling Empire State and Seven Wonders together. Oh, cool. And the they actually came out in reverse order. So Empire State came out first, and then Seven Wonders came out second, and then uh, I can't remember what I wrote after that. The sequel to Empire State, which is called The Age Atomic, that that and another book called Hang Wire were, were brought together. So it was two books and then two books. I have a feeling I might have written Hang Wire, which was actually the fourth one that came out. I might have written that after Empire State, but I can't quite remember. Um, the Age Atomic, which was the sequel to Empire State, because they said, you know, we'd like a sequel. It wasn't something that I had previously written. Um, so up until that point, I had kind of this, this kind of backlog of books <laughs> that I'd, I'd uh-huh. written. But the Age Atomic was the first thing that I'd actually written with a contract already in place. It's like you, you know, you're going to write this book. So I kind of had to write the book. <laughs> um, Do you have to? Did you have to approach that any differently um, as far as uh, plotting out in your process? Yeah. Because now it's a now it's a, a universe that exists. Yeah, I mean, obviously writing it was very different. Um, but I was lucky with Empire State, it was an amazing copy editor who made this little sort of, um, like an encyclopedia of the world, which was fantastic, because then I could use that document for the Age of Tonic. So, That's so, good. I was, yeah. yeah, so writing it was different. Plotting it, I think, obviously I had to have an outline ready to sell the book. Because, yeah, no one's going to say, oh, write a sequel, here's some money. Doesn't mm-hmm. work that. You have to actually <laughs> prove you can do it. Um, but I think, you know, my outlines tend to be fairly loose anyway, so I don't recall it was any particular difference. Uh, you know, my outlines tend to be like a page, maybe, you know, five paragraphs of the story beginning to end. Um, for my own books, anyway, it's different for elementary yeah, let's um, talk about elementary. You mentioned that um, that you had a you know somebody create a you know a universe bible for you for your own world. So then you get elementary, and that's somebody else's property, yeah. and it's you know it's a it's a fresh universe, even though it's Sherlock Holmes and Watson. So it's sort of uh, I you know I kind of feel like you have probably had more freedom than if you had stuck with some like original like BBC n- novel version. Right, yeah. It's an interesting thing. Um, I had the advantage that I'm a huge fan of elementary. 
Um, so I kind of knew the show inside out and back to front, um, which is why I wanted to write the books because I was like, I love the show and I want to write the books. It's incredible. I love that show. Yeah. So, so I had this kind of knowledge um, of the show. And then when I started writing uh, the first book, they sent me, um, I say they, CBS is a you know, network that makes a show. They've got like a massive document, which is like a, a show Bible, which has just incredible detail about everything that goes on in the characters, um, things that happen to them, even like locations, objects. Um, I could look up character shoe sizes and the kind of cars they drive and anything that has appeared in the show uh, was in there, which is great because then I could actually use that. Um, I think, I mean, I kind of, I knew what an elementary story was anyway because I liked the show. So I knew what had to happen. In a book, it's kind of different because obviously the novel is longer than a TV episode. Um, right, so there's a lot more detail because yeah. I'm I'm in the middle of reading um, Ghost Line, oh, and so I, you know, so it was so cool to, you know, for me for my brain, and I immediately starts to wonder, oh, I wonder if this is Adam's thing, or if this <laughs> is like if this is an observation he made, or if he was told this is how Sherlock behaves, oh, like right. his fists are always like his arms are straight and his fists get tight at a certain yeah. you know so, when he's feeling a very interesting that you picked up on that um i think one of the reasons why i got the job was because i could absolutely capture i mean i'm saying this about my own writing but like i could capture the character of sherlock holmes and joan watson and the others as they appeared in the tv show because when you know tie-in fiction is a kind of peculiar thing because it has to be what the readers and the viewers want and expect so they have to be able to pick it up and recognize immediately that these are their favorite characters off on another adventure that they know, they kind of know what the format is, the template, because it's, you know, it's network television. Uh, it's, TV, it's TV, so yeah, yeah. It's going so to, yeah, tune, it's going yeah, to follow a thing. You tune in every week, not necessarily interested in a particular story, but because you want to see how your favorite characters and your favorite actors react to that story. And if you have a show, you know, some shows, I mean, elementary is up to like 90 episodes now. You know, the story itself, there's an elementary type of story, but the important thing is the characters and what they do. So for the book, I really had to kind of nail the characters and their behavior. Otherwise, you'd read it and you'd be like, this is not kind of elementary. Yeah, no, even you, if, you really feel that. Right, even you, if the storyline was kind of what you'd expect from an elementary story, if the characters went right, it wasn't going to work. Um, so I think they were really pleased that I managed to to get the characters. What I had to do actually for that was write, I wrote an outline for the book. Um, and I also had to write the first two chapters as a kind of audition. Oh, cool. And the chapters okay. had to have Holmes and they had to have Watson and they had to have the kind of hooks that elementary has because they wanted to see whether I could do it, which is great. I mean, I think that they, they had that kind of level of um, attention to detail that they wanted. Uh, and, and so could it did it have to be like sequ the sequential chapter one and chapter two? Because I noticed that your chapter one for the ghost line is about the crime. Yeah, that see that's your pre <laughs> your pre credits sequence. <laughs> that's yeah, the okay. Titles. No, so I actually that's, 
the the two that I had written were actually the two that are in the book. So it's the prologue, was well, a kind of prologue chapter one, which is the crime, and then Watson Holmes uh, at the Brownstone. Because um, it's again, it fits the you know it fits the kind of format of the show. You get. Can you tell you? Can I tell you what one of my favorite things? Is? Yeah, go for it. The the fact that because you mentioned the title title sequence, yeah. the fact that you pre- put the machine in there that's in the theme, <laughs> because I love that opening so much yeah. with that sort of Rube Goldberg thing he's got going, yeah. and you know and the, the the theme music for the show has been really great I too. I had so. to put that in somehow because you because like you, you asked before whether they gave instructions or anything. It's like well, they didn't really. They said you can do what you want. Having seen the outline. And the chapters, they knew that I could write elementary, so they just said, you do a book. Um, obviously, because of tie-in fiction, they approve the outline before you write it, and oh. the outlines for these books are huge. I think the outline for book one was 20,000 words, um, which is however many pages. It was huge, because they want, they went through every single point and made sure that it kind of fitted the elementary universe. And, sure, I'm sure you couldn't just like kill off, yeah, you know, yeah. and, a character. You yeah, know. in fact, there was a character that I put in and they said, uh, it wasn't a character that had appeared on TV, but it's from the, the Holmes canon. And they said, actually, can you make it someone else? Because we may at some point want to use that character and you've already killed them, so we can't do that. So I had to make up someone else. So there's a few things like that, you know, a few little rules and bits and bobs, um, but I mean, I'm, now, I kind of I read tie-in fiction like you know Doctor Who and Star Wars and stuff, and I kind of know how tie-in fiction relates to the original property. You know, you can do kind of crazy stuff, but you have to get it back to the point it was when you when you got given it. Um, yeah, there are people, um, like you said, who the the folks creating all of those encyclopedias for those worlds that um you know i i think it was i can't remember if it was star wars or planet of the apes there's somebody that i uh listened to well it was like the guest of a workshop um talking about the continuity and the, i mean he was he was basically himself an encyclopedia at that point because he had to be right. trying yeah. to trying to write novels of, of something <laughs> like that that's so you know monstrously huge yeah. And now Star Wars itself, you know, jumped companies then when Lucasfilm was purchased right. by Disney. So, um, but with Sherlock, Sherlock itself is public domain, but you're working for CBS. Yeah. Um, so now I'm curious, would there, because you're also a comics guy, so would would there be a comics version of Elementary? Oh, uh, that would be great, wouldn't it? It would, it would be, be great. Um <laughs> And I think it's interesting, though, that I've got the British guy on the on the phone here, and he's writing about the American set elementary. Yeah, starring a British actor. British, yeah. yeah. I who I I like him more. I I have been on record. I like Johnny Lee Miller more. Yeah, he I, he's my favorite Sherlock Holmes. Um, yeah. So yeah, so you're not working on the Sherlock Sherlock. You're working on no. This, the, is, this is yeah, elementary set in New York. Yeah. Now, how much do you know about New York? Well, uh, <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, obviously, I've never lived there. Because, um, I mean, there are some extraordinary details. Right. In, I kind of in, have to, yeah, I have to say that it's one of my favorite kind of topics, New York. Um, it's probably my favorite place in the world. And, you know, Empire State 
which is my first novel, that's kind of set in this alternate version of 1930s New York. So right. the kind of history of New York is something um, I've always been fascinated in. Um, and absolutely, the thing I had to, I would, with the ghost line in particular, because the ghost line, which was the first elementary book, uh, has some very specific locations and geography and history as well. And I wanted to make sure I got all that kind of right because otherwise people would like you know someone who knows new york and who lives there and is like totally more informed about it than i am would pick it up and go oh but that's wrong but you can't do that that place doesn't exist you know um oh yeah people yeah people do that even with the historical fiction uh, yeah it's like you know people have dissected (laughs) the da vinci code like ad nauseum it's like it's still fiction guys you know it's like i understand you want these bernini statues in a certain order but it's fiction (laughs) yeah i mean the good thing is like a place like new york is because even if you haven't been there or you're not that familiar everyone kind of has a idea of what new york is and what it looks like so for a large part of the book i could actually just put in very broad kind of stuff and let the reader kind of fill in all the details uh, which is perfect because that means the reader kind of sees the New York that they know or that they think they know. Um, but at the same time, it has the kind of accuracy. Like I had measured in the book, it's got these underground tunnels and there's like a museum and there's a, a park thing and a sewer. And like I had actually, like I measured up all the distances and um, made sure I got the, the layout right because I, you know, why wouldn't I? It's... um. Yeah, it's really cool, especially when you talked about the museum and the, the gala that was there. Um, but then, you know, because that's something that I could go and, and I could see and I've been to. Uh, but then, you know, you're talking about this underground world. And I've heard that these places exist in other cities, too, you know, yeah. like um, uh, catacombs and stuff. But like you're talking about this actual, you know, old lines that nobody can get to or, well, or whatever it's, it's but you true though in new york and it's all true yeah. and it's like well why don't we use this stuff <laughs> <laughs> why don't we have you know because i mean especially in new york if you haven't lived there um I, I i've been there enough to know that they suck at snow removal right um that there's always a traffic problem yeah. so if we could just use the underground city you know yeah. that would be great i love that it would alleviate yeah. I love the idea that that this thing was built, these subway lines and sewer systems and stuff. And like, even though it's not that long ago, people are kind of forgotten. And like, the and then it's absolutely true that the whatever authority it is that looks after the sewage system in New York, they are mapping it because they don't know the network. Right. Well, I noticed you brought that up that it's um, a, a terrorism concern that we're not even allowed to know. Yeah lines are in case somebody else already knows that we don't want to know yeah. um yeah so, yeah in the book they can't find up-to-date maps yeah yeah they can't get the clearance yeah so that's you know that's obviously a very real concern and you wrote you know you acknowledge that 9-11 happened and stuff in the in this story um it's not because i remember when when 9-11 happened and um marvel sets its characters and its um, cities in real in real places yeah whereas um dc does things like fictional cities that are kind of representative like gotham and Met- metropolis yeah, and stuff yeah. so um marvel had to make that decision do we acknowledge this or not and they did um but 
I can't imagine being in the editor's room at that point going, what do we do? Like, this is a character of people who stop crime and save the planet and save the world. And what do we do? So, you know, in Sherlock's case, we have a real person, a real grounded person, but he's extraordinary. And you, you have an anonymous hacker group called everyone that they've already written into the show a few times. So, you know, something, you know, makes you wonder, like, well, if these people know all this stuff, could they have known how to stop something that huge? Or, mm. you know, what does Sherlock know? Because he always knows, he's always a step or two ahead to begin with. Yes, definitely. And I don't know. So I just think, I mean... Uh, yeah, no, it's an interesting question. Yeah. You know, Sherlock's a, Sherlock fights crime after it's happened. I don't, I don't know that I know about Sherlock stopping something beforehand. <laughs> well, elementary book three which is coming out next year, which I can reveal nothing about, <laughs> uh, may point somewhere in that direction. Okay. What can you tell us about book two, since that is yeah. about to fall? Yeah, so book two comes out at the end of April this year. Uh, it's called Blood and Ink. And what can I tell you about it? It's about a murder. So, well, it's about a murder. They're all about murders. Um, they get called to the murder of this sort of high-flying uh, chief financial officer from this very secretive um, hedge fund investment type company. And the guy has been stabbed through the eye with a fountain pen and he's dead. And like he's dead in this... Down- That's a classy murder. It is a classy murder, but he's in this downtrodden, moldy, rotten mo- uh, hotel way up town in Manhattan, the kind of the last place you'd expect a guy like this in his fancy suit and stuff uh, to be. And the fountain pen that he's killed with is like, it's worth $20,000. It's just <laughs> sitting in his eye socket. Um, so that kind of starts this whole investigation into uh, the this, this secretive hedge fund company um, and the links that they may have with a murder that another murder that took place kind of 20 years ago on the other side of the country, uh, which is connected to uh, the world of of um, how do I describe it? Business improvement seminars, kind of like you know motivational speakers or self help for business. There's probably a category, a genre I could call that. But there's this guy who like runs seminars across the United States. The Tony Robbins type. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, it's a it's a cross between self help and personal improvement of the cheesy kind. You know, uh-huh. the kind of jogging around on stage and fist pumping and you know, that kind of thing. And business help. <laughs> like how to right, how right. to transform your business. Um so they get involved in this. There's a connection between what's happened at this uh, hedge fund company and this this motivational speaker, uh, Dale. Do you know anything about hedge funds, like that you to, to write these kind of details? Because I wouldn't even know what to do. Well, yeah. Again, I mean, I did research for the book. Obviously, um, fortunately, the actual detail is not so important for the story because you're right; it's a complicated area. It's very, I mean, you know, because there are people who have, you know, law backgrounds and then write, you know, law procedural novels, like, you know, the, um, 
you know, Connolly and stuff. Um, But they've got that incredible education behind them. But if it was something financial like that, I would just be an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, it has... It has enough in it that you know what's going on, but that's all. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no, you know, not too much detail. But yeah, um, so yeah, another rollicking adventure for um, Sherlock and Watson uh, and their friends. And again, okay. it was like it was just like fun to write. It's like a, the the thing I, the way I approach the books, it's it's sort of like writing the mid season two part special episode. Because yeah, as I said, they're longer than a TV episode because a book is naturally longer, so they kind of they have to be an episode and a bit more. So, so where do you, like do you get to place the, them as far as their own continuity and timeline? Because on the show, like obviously, it takes longer to write a book, um, and I don't know what they've told you. Like okay, well at this point he needs to already have this relationship with his father or this you know or his yeah. brother. Here. And we've already seen a lot develop um, with his family just this past season alone. Yeah, I did. I had some stuff in the first book which referred to a specific uh, event in, I think, season two. And they, they kind of said, well, let's take it out because, like you said, the books take longer. And by the time someone reads the book, they're not going to know necessarily what's happened on TV. So they have to be standalone. But I can kind of place them like book two, a uh, book one, uh, the ghost line is kind of season two, early season two, and book two is sort of second half of season three. Um, after so in season three, kind of the first half of the season is a character called Kitty Winters who comes in. And then she, oh, yeah, yeah, and then she leaves, and like I, I couldn't really use her because it would, it would place the story within that run of episodes, and you know her story is quite self-contained. So it, it really was. It felt yeah. very of like a very odd shift. I didn't like. It's not that I didn't like her. I just felt that it moved the show in a whole different yeah, way and, then, and and like yeah. like Watson was just like pushed out I'm like I want Watson back <laughs> yeah no it was a different way of a different way of doing the show um, so so book two I had to place after that but it's one of those things where like you can pick the book up if you know elementary it'll be an elementary story and it doesn't really matter it's kind of like those episodes where you turn on the TV and it's elementary and it's not anything in particular to do with the overall arc of the season it's mm-hmm. just you know, the latest mystery. And I think that's fine. I mean, I I love that kind of storytelling. Uh, I think there's a thing about it, you know, to be able to to place, you know, so if you're a fan, of, like if you're a diehard, hardcore fan of elementary, you can probably place the novels very accurately. Because there are clues, because I can't help it, because I, I love the show, so I know what the characters have done and where they've been. So there's kind of clues here and there, but, like, it's not really... Uh, important. So th- there's no animosity that now we have this iconic British character in America. <laughs> I don't know. Like it seemed like when Elementary and the Cumberbatch Sherlock right. were coming out, like there was this great rivalry. Like you had to pick sides. I know. You couldn't be fans of both. I'm like, well, I like Elementary yeah. better, think, but what can I say? Uh, I think the BBC Sherlock. Um, at least for the fans, has a 
at least a peripheral attachment to things like Doctor Who because of the creators and stuff. So I think that yeah. that brings with it a very dedicated fan base already. Um, I think it was really, is, you know, just a, a show. <laughs> it was a really, it was honestly, I'm like, oh, this is so risky to take somebody, you know, so British and and just plant him here and just say, okay, yeah, well, it what? Works. It works. And it worked. Yeah. Um, and they've, you know, and especially then because they gender swapped Watson. Yes. I was, I just wondered about it. And I'm like, well, it's not really necessary, but it seems like that's how American shows are. Right. Because um, like Castle is one of my favorite shows, even though they've kind of gone off the rails. Um, but I mean, you know, they they sort of expect that it's that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't I didn't know what other than you know other than to try to make Elementary more distinct why they did that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they got phenomenal actors, the most amazing cast. Yeah, I never thought in a million years that I would have a book with Lucy Liu on the cover. It's the, I know. It's the right? first thing I thought when I saw the artwork for the first book. I was like, "She's amazing." <laughs> oh, I just yeah. I mean, it's really phenomenal. And then you know, and like I said, there's no comic tie-in yet. No. I would love if there were. Um, oh, <laughs> but I know that uh, I know that I think it's Titan Comics. Maybe I just saw the announcement that Sherlock is getting its first comic tie-in. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Right. Um, but they're doing um, – actually, it's what it is is not uh, – It's not. I don't, I don't want to confuse people. It's a, it's a manga, so it's uh, oh, it's not set up yeah. like uh, American yeah. Western style or whatever. It, think, um, uh, you have to read it, you know, backwards. Right. Yeah, I think CBS, being the makers of Elementary, they – uh, I don't know if it's Marvel or DC they have a connection with. I think – because there's been like a castle, there's been castle comics. I think that, that, yeah, might, be Mar- so that might be Marvel, but they, they're not CBS, are they? They're ABC, I think. ABC. So that's why I was wondering, you know, I don't know what their affiliation, because I know like uh, these conglomerate, <laughs> I mean, these com- corporations are massive. Yeah. I don't know even, I don't know who, what CBS works up to. It's probably like Universal Pictures and that's about owned by somebody else. And I don't know, or Paramount, Paramount I guess. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. So, um, well, and DC is Warner but, Brothers, so maybe they don't get on. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah, and Warner Brothers is um, used to be uh, what's now the CW, which is where like Green Arrow, yeah, and those those shows are. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, well, there's obviously like a ton of comic book related TV shows that you know, like uh, Supergirl. Well, actually, that's a good point because Supergirl was CBS. Yeah. So there you go. That was really interesting that they did that because they've tied it in. They've done crossovers with the Flash, which I think is a different channel. That's the CW, yeah. Yeah. But it's the same. So. The same executive producer. So. Oh, okay. It's quite, <laughs> It's kind of complicated how they all kind of link together. It really is. Yeah. Like I just I don't know. But so your comic book work, um, is with, uh, it was the Shield. I think it has a formal title, right? Yes, that's right. Um. And you got to work with Chuck Wending, and I'm not sure who your art team was, to be so, honest. So uh, the art team was Drew Johnson, um, who did the art, and Rachel Deering on letters, and Kelly Fitzpatrick did the colouring. Okay, uh, the colouring was lovely. I oh, really, I yeah, she's brilliant. Like she's really good. And so you got to take this like character that was you know long forgotten and basically just start from scratch. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, through Archie Comics. Um, oh, Archie, okay. Well, Sorry. it's uh, Dark Circle Comics, which is the superhero part of Archie. Um, but yeah, they just kind of uh, approached us, really, um, <laughs> and asked us to pitch for for this character. So you, but here, you know, again, we've talked about uh, the Watson character being gender swapped with the shield. That's, this was the same thing that happened because I didn't know this character before. Right. And and I know that uh, Chuck Wendig has been asked a billion times about writing female characters. So I wanted to know if you were tired of answering, how do you write female characters? Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just, we just write characters. Um, and I mean, the thing with the shield, the shield was a definite decision to make the male character a female character, because the original uh, shield first appeared, I think, in 1940, and he actually appeared before Captain America. Um, they're both kind of, you know, flag, patriotic, yeah, patriotic flag-wearing superheroes. In fact, the shield was the first flag-wearing superhero. And then Captain America came along and got really popular and everyone forgot about the shield. And they, you know, <laughs> Captain America survived. Um, and the problem has been over the last kind of 70 years that people have compared the shield to Captain America. You know, because the shield's never gone away. It's kind of come and gone and gone through various inventions. Right. And the whole thing is like, well, it's just Captain America. So, well, it's like anything anything wizard really is going to be compared to Harry Potter, even though Harry Potter's yeah, fairly, yeah. you know. Like that's just the way it is. So they, I think the original idea we had was because um, the last version of the shield, which was a, couple, a few years ago, he was kind of he was like aging in real time, so he was kind of an old guy now, and they were going to re kind of repower him and reimagine him as the original from 1940, like this young guy, you know, Steve Ro- <laughs> Steve Rogers, right? So right, and that, that's kind of cool. And then they thought, you know what, we need to just like do something different. Um, so, yeah, they said make him a her. Uh, yeah, really... Archie, Archie is really, because um, uh, one of my site's contributors, Jesse, follows Archie. And they've really taken these big leaps in modernizing their all their, their product lines. Yes. And it's been really, really cool, and to, and plus to see the reception that it gets. I mean, obviously, some people are going to bitch and moan about, oh my god, how dare you have a gay character or something. <laughs> yeah. There's always going to be people like that, but the, for the most part, the these big changes that they've made have been really welcomed by the comics fan base. And um, like you mentioned, this is under their sort of like noir imprint, if you or you know superhero stuff. Yeah. So it's because Archie is you know high school kids, right, and whatnot. Um, and I think that's being well, is it gonna be animated or live action. Something's something's popping out of that 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 there's world. A, yeah, live action Riverdale. show called Riverdale. Riverdale. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so you like get to be part of this imprint of something that's got this, you know, one of the first comic companies that's ever existed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Dark Circle superheroes have been around since 1940. Yeah, there's a huge library of characters. And they've come and gone over the years, and um, we're just really lucky that we had the the opportunity to kind of because yeah, to 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 reimagine the character because the only the only instruction they gave us was make it make her a female character, and then do what you want. So we were like, okay. <laughs> um, so we came up with a whole new character, a whole new history, new backstory, new origin, um, 
and yeah, that was that was really good. When I read um, the first issue, I can't remember how long ago it was. It's, um, October last year, I think. Um, the it, one of the things that I noticed, and it, and this is just, you know, I know how Chuck writes, and I I was glad to see that you know he got to have, I guess. I don't know. It's it's one of those things like I know male creators are sick of this question, but it was like I got to, you know, see right away that this character was not dressed provocatively. Like she just wore like, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. she wore appropriate clothes yeah. and, well, and stuff. Yeah. And like her shield was like this cool like hoodie and like because um, she's a soldier, you know. And, and Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I Batwoman had to go through that kind of thing too where it's like okay well we put you know you can put batwoman in a skin tight outfit sometimes but when she's off duty if you will yeah. um you know like she's in like you know workout clothes or something right, right. You know? <laughs> like they're not always sitting around in their hot pants and bra right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> um so it's i'm i guess that's a famous joss whedon meme at this point is uh He's he's just like so sick, I guess, of the question. He's like, well, I guess I'll stop answering it when people stop right. <laughs> stop asking. Right. Yeah. Um, so, how do you feel though about the superhero industry at this point, where you know Wonder Woman just made her big screen debut? I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I can't I can't wait to see her. But um, I know we have to wait for her movie for a little bit longer and Captain Marvel. After oh, that, yeah, that's true. The the um, it's amazing that it's taken so long for those. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. So I mean, the movies obviously make a lot more money than the comics. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, How but the comic is, the comics are the source material. Um, yeah. And you know, I've always been a fan of superhero comics, and I read I read both Marvel and DC um, these days. So I love superheroes. So do you, do you have, um, since you've written the shield, this, you know, this character that you really got to reinvent, did you, do you have a list of existing characters you'd want to get your hands on? Or do you want to think about creator owned characters? Oh, I think, well, both actually, because they're very different things. I think um, if you're looking at like, well, like the shield, but anything from like Marvel, DC, or whatever, you know, essentially that's tie-in fiction like elementary, except you're not really tying in. You're kind of working on the original, if you know what I mean. But like, you know, these are characters that you don't, you as the writer, don't own them. You, kind right. of, you get to use them for a little bit, and then they kind of, you know, it moves on, which is, you know, exactly what the shield is. Um, whereas creator owned is obviously your own stuff you create everything you the characters the stories um so both are very appealing um and they're both very different types of writing uh so i think there's definitely both in the future for me if i can say that <laughs> absolutely um we, well you've got some new other new fiction like with made to kill which i i just the cover is fantastic oh, i remember when yeah. that got um put on twitter i was <laughs> like wow he's got like the best covers um so i mean when like now that you've you've had the success with your own 
fiction do you and you've played in in both types of medium because like you said it's it's completely different writing a script for a comic um do you have you ever thought about adapting something in your own universes into comics uh yeah i have done um well thought about it i mean um I've kind of got ideas for a few things. Uh, it's a question of time, really. Comics is a very difficult thing to get into. Um, because, I mean, just logistically, even to create our own stuff, it's a whole different ballgame to to writing novels. It's, yeah. I mean, it's a whole team of people. You know, team. It's right. a giant team of people. So that's, I mean, it's different than if I, you know, the reason I was trying to, to word the question differently was if you could adapt something that you've already made and existed versus, okay, I want to make a creator owned comic and start fresh with something right. that nobody's seen yet. You know, if the opportunity ever came up where someone said you could do an adaptation or something, then absolutely I'd do that. Yeah. Um, I think I'd probably, for creator owned stuff, I've got a few things on the go which are obviously they're completely new um ideas which is, do you which is have you had any say in your covers because they really are wild uh book covers yeah the book covers. yeah i'm lucky i've had the same artist do them all obviously except for elementary which is a photographic cover right those are yeah, yeah. um yeah will stale who's here he kind of he did my i did four books for angry robot which is my first publisher and he did the covers for the first those four, and they were amazing. And then I signed to Tor Books um, for a space opera kind of series trilogy: um, the Burning Dark and the Machine Awakes and the Dead Stars, which is not out yet. And I said, you know, they were kind of they were, they were trying to work out what to do for the covers, and I said, you know what, um, this guy will. I had noticed that they had used him for a Tor book, like. A few months before, um, so I said, "Well, hey, you're already using him, and he's done my books. What would be his take on this kind of idea?" And yeah, they kind of uh, went with it. So I ended up with Will for my three space opera books, and then he's doing my uh, robot books as well. So I kind of lucked out a little bit, I think. <laughs> he's, Definitely, he's, he's such a good artist. Yeah, well, I'm because uh, Chuck Wendig's book covers were, you know, were done by uh, Joey Hi-Fi, right. and they were phenomenal. And then I remember there was like some sort of uh, like I don't know if the publisher got what the story was. I couldn't follow. It was like the publisher got bought out, or they dropped a certain yeah they they changed group of yeah, titles. They, they got bought out. That's one, yeah. The, yeah. So it's like okay. So then the, I think the books had to be re-released. And I think that automatically made new covers. That's right. So they came up. So Chuck's uh, Blackbirds series. Yeah, because they were phenomenal. I love covers. I just, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, people like you know. I know that you're not supposed to <laughs> figure out if you like a book, but based on the cover. But I, it will draw you in. And in comics, we know this, and it gets frustrating with comics because a lot of times the cover artist is not who does the interiors. So you might yeah. get, you know, a completely different. Um, feeling when you're reading it then yeah. you know oh, yeah. They have yeah and i mean the, the yeah a book cover is meant to sell a book yeah uh yeah you shouldn't obviously you shouldn't judge a book on its cover but you can sell a book on its cover uh you know made to kill you mentioned you know that's probably my favorite one that he's done of my books it's very intimidating yeah it's um and i was you on know, robot in a fedora i know i was on tour and i had two book tours last year in the states and they did these cut out masks 
of Ray, who's the main character, who's a robot in the fedora, that had like masks and um, things like that, which was like amazing but to see the artwork kind of used, yeah, uh, like that. Like it, like you know, it's just. It's like there's no humanity because it's like this robot figure, but then they, you know, you put clothes on them. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. Oh, it's really scary. He thinks like a person because he's got he has the template. So he's a robot detective in 1960s Hollywood, and he's got a sort of personality template based on his creator. So he he knows he's a robot and he is a robot, but he kind of thinks like a person, and he has kind of uh, dreams of drinking coffee and having sandwiches and things like that, which obviously he doesn't do. But they're kind of echoes from his creator. Um, yeah, and he wears a suit and hat and shirt and tie and underwear. <laughs> yeah. That's an important plot point of the book, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine it's part of, you know, part of how we function as humans. Right. So, um, I can't remember what was it AI or iRobot or which freaking movie it was where it was the 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 robot itself was like the son of the creator because the son had like died. Oh or something. yeah. Uh, so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and we're getting a little too close. Like, did you see the big robot that like in order to test the the balance and walking ability of it, how they were like poking a little yeah. stick to knock down. It was so sad. I'm like, this, this is gonna, these things are gonna rise up, and they're gonna just take everybody down. Yeah, and then there was a Microsoft uh, chatbot that turned into a <laughs> that turned into a racist yeah. asshole. <laughs> 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 Which is like yeah, exactly. science fiction. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want them learning on their own. I don't, <laughs> I don't think. Mm. So then, oh, right. So you've got some, you've got the second elementary book dropping uh, this month. Yeah, I do. Um, and do you know, like, what your, uh, you know, your lineup is then for, for this year? Do you do, like, big conventions and stuff? Do you travel around? Yeah, I do. Um, this year I'm doing Phoenix Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con. And I might be New York Comic Con as well. Um see how that goes so elementary book two is out in april i've got a novella which is set in the raymond electromatic uh la trilogy robot detective world uh that's going to be september october and then the second i get i lose track honestly the second robot book is out january next year and then there's going to be another one after that, which is obviously 2018. And there's a third elementary book, uh, which will be this time next year, 2017. So yeah, pretty pretty busy. Pretty pretty darn busy. Yeah. I, I the other the other day I saw you mention um, because you you know you you're very um, gracious with you know help, giving people credit for helping you out you know uh, along the way you know as we were talking about comics oh, are right, a big yeah, team yeah. Effort, so that's you know that's one thing but you mentioned Stasia Decker yes um so what's her role for you so she's my agent literary agent uh she's also Chuck's literary agent <laughs> um which kind of makes it easy for things like the, like the shield and we yeah because like she can just handle everything um yeah so basically she uh, yeah, she's also my editor, kind of thing. She's like, a, she's like my first. She's the first set of eyes 
that sees anything. You know, anything that I write goes to her first. She's a really good editor. You know, before she was an agent, she was an editor. So she has this kind of... So there's a lot of trust. Oh, there. yeah. And it's an amazing level of detail that she has when she, she edits something, um, which is amazing, you know, and not every agent does that. So I'm very grateful that, like, the stuff that I churn out, she can actually look at and tell me how to fix it, um, you know, before it goes anywhere else, which is great. Uh, yeah. That's good. So do you know? Do you have family that uh, actually likes your work? And, I was, and the reason I ask is because somebody asked me, like, what was my most awkward moment or something? And I said, well, it's that my mother doesn't ever want to read my work. Oh right. Because <laughs> um, I asked her to, and she's like, "This is too much you in it." Oh, I'm like, yeah. "Darn!" Because my mom would be a great proofreader for my shitty typing. Right. Um, I mean, I my parents read my books. I send them copies, obviously, uh, and. My wife's read elementary because she likes elementary as well. But it's one of those things where, like, she doesn't like, she doesn't necessarily like the same stuff that I like in terms of, like, books and things. So it's not compulsory for her to read what I write. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she read elementary because she enjoys elementary and she likes, yeah. you know. But, so it wasn't going to feel like a chore. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, but, you know, I don't, I don't make her or ask her to read stuff before it goes anywhere. Uh, some people do, you know, and that's really great. Uh, is she so? Is she an industry person? Is she part? Oh of... no, no, not at all. Okay. Uh, and yeah, you know, and, she, and she, like me, she likes science fiction, fantasy, and you know, same kind of film, TV, and stuff. Um, but you know, our tastes, our reading tastes diverge just enough that she can like her thing, and I can like my my thing. Do you have time to read? Oh yeah, no, I make sure I do because I think reading is like part of the job of writing. So I get through a book probably every three days. That's fast. Uh, Yeah, it's way faster than I used to be because I kind of, when I kind of plan out my day of work, I actually put in reading as like a, I schedule it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't blame you for that. I've I've done that before and it's it's better because, you know, sometimes you just need to unplug and... um, and a lot of people are talking about that, that they have to schedule their unplugged time. Right, yeah. 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 So what's on your bookshelf then? My reading bookshelf? Yeah, I'm like reading... what would your, you know, your top top picks be of, of stuff that interests you this, you know, this year? I'm actually on a bit of a mission this year. I'm reading thrillers. Oh. Uh, you know, your, your juicy, action-packed commercial thrillers. Um which is fantastic. I've loved, I've read John Grisham, Karen Slaughter, David Badalci, Robert. I'm reading a Robert Cray book at the moment, which is fantastic. It's called Voodoo River. It's amazing. Um, I love this kind of crime thriller thing. Uh, I read Gone Girl. That was great. I know I was like, I'm like three years, four years too late for Gone Girl, but I read Gone Girl. <laughs> I think I'm too, I'm too scared to read it. I'm too scared to watch the movie. So. Oh, the movie's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I read the book and then I watched the movie. And um, that was really interesting. Because I had it on my wish list, and then I'm like, damn, I better take this off. I'm here in the house that this is really tense. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, I mean, it's, you know, perfect psychological thriller. Um, so, yeah, so I'm reading a lot of that kind of stuff, really, at the moment, uh, which is good because they're very fast reads. Like, I kind of do, like, a book every three days, but these are kind of, you know, fast-paced. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to put them down. Yeah, so, like, you know, Lee Child and... Um, 
and stuff like that. It's funny because I tend to I tend to drift away from science fiction and fantasy when I read. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. Yeah, you I guess give your brain on something else to think about. Right, exactly. And you learn something as well. It's like reading outside of your genre. You learn stuff, uh, which is good. And not just in general, but like in terms of about how writing works and how storytelling works. If you read stuff that is outside of what you actually do, uh, which is why everyone should do it, really, if they're writing. Try to do it anyway. So then my last uh, thing that I wanted to talk to you about is about uh, awards. And I know most of the time people don't think they make any difference to anything, but they do make book sales go up. So um, people are starting to talk about the Hugos again this year. And I remember last year was an epic catastrophe. (laughs) So... um, how do you, you know, how do you feel about like awards processes and, you know, which ones do you care about or do you not care about any? I used to care about awards quite a lot. Um, I don't know, I guess because I'd like to win one maybe one day. Um, so, you know, I used to do a thing of like, you put up your, you put up a blog post about the stuff that you have that was eligible in the last year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, which, is, right. which I actually like and people don't like that, but I like that. And also it provides a really good reading list. Like if you're looking for something to read, um, you know, go and look at all the authors' posts about stuff. And then I kind of... Um, I've not been that engaged with it recently, but that's probably probably because the last year I've been so busy and that kind of peripheral stuff, it's just I just don't have time for it, really. Um and also with my reading, like I, with my own reading, I'm not necessarily reading stuff that came out in the last year. So when it comes to trying to think of stuff to nominate, that's kind of current. <laughs> I can. Yeah, I'm behind yeah, too. Be behind. I'm always, I'm always behind yeah. the eight ball. And a lot of that, uh, well, some of it is financial. Like with comics, they really are expensive. Um, so I like when they're when they get it to come out in volumes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It's great collection. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm sorry, guys. I, I know that it, it matters whether or not the series will continue based on sales of, like, three months ago. It's Comics are very hard that way. You know, it's all based on, like, you know, your first issue sales. And it's like, but I don't want to read it until I can read six issues. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of keep an eye on things, I think. You know, whether awards increase audience, uh, increase book sales, I guess some might do. I don't know. It depends on the award, probably. Um, but yeah, I kind of... I, at, at, at this point, I'm kind of a bit busy. <laughs> yeah, got, you really you know, are. Um, okay, so where can people keep up with uh, your announcements and your work and stuff? I mentioned that you're on Twitter. Yes, so Twitter, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as Ghostfinder. Um, I'm on there far too much. And... I'm also on Facebook a little bit. Uh, you can probably find me, Adam Christopher. Uh, my website is adamchristopher.ac, and I kind of post. I don't really do. I don't really blog or anything, but I post news updates and book covers and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good. I mean, and Twitter is like probably the easiest place to yeah. to see what you're up to. Yeah. I'm um, I'm addicted in a bad way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I'm so happy that you have the uh, the gig with Elementary because it's just oh, exciting, and, I, and I'm a huge fan of that. So, um, robots scare me. I'm not gonna lie. So, robot stuff might uh, might not Ooh, well, might not work. <laughs> um, 
but this that's fantastic. So I I you know I know that you don't uh, get over to the states like you know easily, but hopefully hopefully you'll make it to that New York Comic Con. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's about the only time I ever want oh. to go to New York. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm two hours away, and I'm like, ah, it's just so congested and busy and expensive. I just. Yeah. I'm not one of those people that's in love with New York. Right, right. Um, but Comic-Con will get me there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Um, okay, well, you guys, you've been listening to the delightful Adam Christopher, and he has a ton of books that you can go check out. And, of course, you can get the Shield comic very easily. Um which, as you know, we were discussing, is a very fresh take. So it's not like you need to know a hundred years of comic history or something to go get it. Um, that's always a daunting thing when you're oh, trying to get new comic book yeah. new comic book readers. Just you can just pick that one up from, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, so you can watch us both kibitzing at each other on Twitter. I'm at Elizabeth Amber, and um, my Instagram is Amber Unmasked, and the website's Amber Unmasked. So I'm pretty easy to to find, except that. I apparently have a very common name, as do you, as I learned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I find you, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of Adam Christopher's. <laughs> um, so, excellent. So I will let you get back to your deadlines, which I'm sure are just yelling at you right now. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It was a blast. I'm so glad that we could work out the time. Um, so thank you guys don't forget go to patreon.com slash amber to sponsor the show so you can hear more great interviews like this <laughs>